Lebanese culture is a collective culture. Uh, it's quite, it's tribal. We do things as a group. And there's this, when it, as a Lebanese person, you just, you know, as soon as you say to someone, I'm Lebanese and they're Lebanese, it's like, there's just this like inherent part, like sense of family. That's Sarah Halawani, and you're listening to Not From Here. I'm your host, Isha Thapa, and I'm exploring the stories of immigrants who've grown up here, recent migrants, expats, or anyone who feels an affinity with another culture or country. In this episode, I speak with Sarah about what it's like to be a combination of Australian, Lebanese, and Druze. Druze is a relatively underground offshoot of Islam that's quite mystical and hard to find a lot of information about. Sarah works in student experience and educational programs at Macquarie University in Sydney, and I had so much fun learning about her roots, her life, and how she integrates the three parts of her identity. This was one of those episodes where I realised how little we know about some cultures and religions in Australia, but it also highlighted all the commonalities between so many immigrants here. I laughed a lot with Sarah, and I hope you enjoy the candidness and humour in this episode as much as I did. Yeah, so you told me that your grandparents actually moved to Australia in 1893. Oh, close. That's a really <laughs> good, good memory. So it was my grandmother's grandfather who grandfather who migrated in 1898 and um, he was a, a hawker. So he came on the boat and I've been trying to figure out which boat it is, but I haven't quite figured that out yet. I did find his um, naturalisation papers in um, the records um, online. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah, and yeah, he originally migrated to Adelaide and lived in the city of Adelaide. Um, And so my grandmother grew up in Berry in South Australia, which is a regional, uh, which is where the fruit juice is made. Yes, and um, berry juice growing up. Yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> you grew up in <laughs> it's a very Adelaide thing. <laughs> yeah, totally. Yeah. So, um, and my parents actually were born in Lebanon, both of them. So I've never really been able to figure out if I'm first generation Australian or if you know I'm third, fifth, fourth generation. If that makes sense. Ah, okay. So, so your so yeah. your grandparents were born in Lebanon, but. Your parents were also born in Lebanon, even though your grandparents were living in Australia at the time. Yeah. So um, my grandmother was actually born in Australia, but it was, so she, all her parents and her grandparents were born in Lebanon, came to Australia Mm -hmm. and then they'd go back and then come back again Mm -hmm. to Australia. So there was just this like constant sort of going back and forth between, but my grandmother actually was born in Australia. Then she got married to her husband, my grandfather, and they moved back to Lebanon and she lived there for 50 years. So she had to learn Arabic and she still still speaks Arabic today with an Australian accent. Wow. And she had to learn how to read and everything and she still she used to buy Vegemite in bulk and have it over there and eat meat pies and things. Um, what did she so, say about the experience of going back to Lebanon back in those days before you had all the connections to home that we do now? So she would have literally left her life here, gone to Lebanon. At 21 years yeah. of age, yeah. yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So it was, it was. I think it definitely would have been a culture shock for her. Um, although after living there for 50 years and then moving through, living through the war, she sort of really then identified as a Lebanese yeah. person. And then my grandfather passed away, sadly, like about eight years ago, and she had to then move back here and 
go through the whole kind of assimilation. And I don't know if it's assimilation, but if um, reassimilation, yeah, readjustment of um, being back in Australian society, and I think it really brought up a lot of her childhood, which is you know bringing up. Uh, times where you know, migrants weren't social, it weren't as accepted and there was a lot of racism going on, especially out in the country. Yeah. And having to sort of reconnect with her contemporaries in like the bowling club, for example, um, it, it did at the time bring up a, a lot of like uncertainty as it would, would any, with anyone transitioning from one country to another. Um, but yeah. It was a lot of, harder when you're that age though, right? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Although, you know, she definitely also, you know, ha- identifies as an Australian as well. So, um, yeah, that's interesting because yeah. when I um, when I first saw that your grandparents had come, I thought, okay, so that actually makes you a third generation immigrant. But you're right. There's no. I'm not sure what to define it as now that you kind of bring the story, make the story becomes clearer. So your parents, um, you, they were born in Lebanon. They met in Lebanon and got married. Did they have, like, what's what was it like back then for when people dated and got married? I think I just think about my own, my own parents and the fact that they had an arranged marriage, and sometimes I think I put that layer onto other people's experiences overseas, but I know that it would be totally different. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, no, they didn't have an – they met at the university, American University of Beirut. Um, they were young and um, in their early 20s and they got married during the war. So um, that was sort of quite a unique sort of circumstance. My mom graduated from university and there's this photo of um, her and my grandfather and my grandmother um, and my grandfather is like completely disheveled and he's just got this like army green shirt on and like hasn't washed his hair and is wearing like these 70s like shaded sunglasses and my grandmother's all prim and proper and she's got like a suit on and my mom's in her graduation clothes um and yeah they had to like drive from the mountains that where they lived in um the half an hour out of Beirut and to Beirut which is where the university was past all these checkpoints to actually get to my mom's graduation um, and around the same time, that's sort of when my parents also got married, I think, within a couple of years. Um, and then they, my dad, um, as a lot of what a lot of Lebanese um, do is like move out of Lebanon to get work around the Gulf regions, around you know, to Australia, the US. Mm-hmm. Um, so the main and, reason that they moved here was work. Yeah, so first it was to Saudi Arabia, yeah. and that's when I was born, yeah. where I was born, and same with my sister. And then after living there for three years, sort of soon after my sister was born, we moved to Australia and to Adelaide, which is where our original roots really were, which is where my great-great-grandfather migrated in 1898, and that's where the generations have sort of like rooted over there. And I guess that's where I um, grew up amongst a community of other Lebanese, Australian, Drew's kids. Yeah, so so on that point, so you're not just Lebanese, but you're actually Drew's. And I've actually only met one Drew's person in my whole life in Adelaide, funnily enough. All right. I wonder if you know her. I won't say her name because she hasn't really asked to be mentioned on this podcast. But I probably don't because I'm not a very good Drew's. I don't really. I'm not like super in amongst the community, although I'd love to be more so because, and um, yeah, I, I love 
I, I've always had a fascination with it. Yeah, well, um, tell, tell, tell me more about it. part of me. Tell, um, tell our listeners more about it because, um, yeah, I read lots of interesting things, including that that Druze people themselves don't often understand the religion and it's a, it, there's quite a lot of secrecy around it. Or, again, I'm, I'm paraphrasing because yeah. I didn't find that there was much information about um, yeah. and and I w- don't know whether to call it a religion or a culture. So yeah, um, over to you to ex- yeah. actually explain things. <laughs> so yeah, so much to say on it. I guess yeah. So it is uh, a religion, and it's also I would say more of a cultural identity, though, with the way that it's expressed in Australia. Um, growing up in Adelaide, we were really amongst a lot of family and um, a lot of um, a closer knit sort of community. That was that. It's sort of been. That's quite historical. Like it's quite a long sort of history of Lebanese being in Australia. And I think there was sort of like a more of an established culture and a way of being there. Whereas in Sydney, I find it's a little bit. It's a little bit different. But also, we don't have the family connections in Sydney, so that's why when I'm not as connected to the Druze community in Sydney. Having said that, I obviously I do have friends mm. in the community there. But um, it's not sort of. Um, um, it's not part of the fabric of, of my life. Like I'm not, it's, I kind of go in and out of it. But as far as what Druze actually means, mm. it's, um, it's an offshoot of Islam. Mm-hmm. It was sort of, it came out of Islam and it was an underground religion. Um, and, and it was so because it was sort of considered to be going against Islam. So there was a lot of persecution that happened in Lebanon and Druze uh, often live in the mountains mm-hmm. um, because that is was a con- considered a place of safety and that was the way they were able to defend themselves and defend the communities. They were split into two groups, so one being the Juhal, which is like the ignorant, and um, and the I'm not going to say the Arabic word for the other one because I don't know. Manlamin, I think, is like the yeah the um, the learned, mm-hmm. and and so. This is the way the story goes and, you know, it is difficult to fact check this stuff because there isn't so much published. But I think this is sort of more, this is considered general knowledge, which mm-hmm. is that, um, you know, those two groups were split because they had one, the jahal, the, the ignorant had to protect the the scholars and the learn, the, the scholars of the religion that were practicing it underground. And oh. so it's a monotheistic religion. So we believe in one God and uh, we believe in also reincarnation. And that... What's um, the name of the God? Oh well, yeah, Allah. Oh, yeah, okay. it's like because okay. it's like that's the Arabic word for for God, really. Okay, okay. With the way that some Druze, I guess, would express or practice the religion overseas, especially and also here to some extent, is there are like Muslim rituals and um, prayers and celebrations that they would ad- adhere to, and um, I think it's definitely a question as to like, you know, is that because that we were trying to protect ourselves? And from from like Islam, and so we would, you know, practice those rituals and and um, celebrations, or is that truly a part of the Druze religion, which is, um, and the the book is, or I guess we do like, like every religion has has a book. Mm. It's called the Hikmi, which is the wisdom. Mm-hmm. I always I grew up thinking like when I was a kid, like oh, it's so special to be part of this secretive mystical religion, and I I really. I do love it and it probably does explain a little bit of like why I've always wanted to sort of go back to my culture and reconnect and um, also explains a little bit why I was with a Drew's person um, mm. in my in my uh, last relationship as well. Um, 
But, you know, it, you, you, as you get older, you kind of come to realise that it's, I'm not a really, like, I'm not a religious person myself. Mm. Um, I am definitely, I consider myself spiritual um, and agnostic to a certain extent. And so I guess what I find really fascinating about it is the philosophy and the mysticism around it, um, which is pretty hard to access because you're not supposed to read the Hikmi, the, the book of the wisdom, if um, you're not sort of like a scholar of the religion and um, don't practice it. As How many yeah. scholars of the religion are there? Because, yeah, again, what I read was that there's only one million Jews worldwide and that's tiny. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So the scholars, you know, any, yeah, with the way, I'm going to say with the way it's expressed in different, different sort of contexts, um, you know, that you'd have sheikhs mm-hmm. and sheikhs, which would be, they dress in certain ways if you're in Lebanon or in Israel or in Syria. Um, and they'd be considered community people and, and some would probably be more authentic than others in actually, you know, practicing the truth of what, you know, is that sacred spiritual religion is supposed to be versus, you know, what you find in often in in closed communities is, you know, might not be as like authentic, Mm. I guess. So what was it like growing up in Adelaide in the Druze community and within your extended family there? I was devastated when I was a kid and we had to leave. Um, So that was... A pretty hard time, and I think so. It must we, mean that growing like it wasn't a nice experience. I, it was a yeah, personal experience. Yeah, 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 definitely. Um, I think that there was a sense of belonging, and um, there was certainly a sense of community and connection. And I had my close cousins, who I really miss over there. And we've really we've grown apart, but we know that we're always sort of there for each other. Um, and, you know, we connected through food and all sorts of, like, celebrations. You'd always have people around you. Mm. Um, and then when we moved to Sydney, it was like we were kind of a bit more on our own. Yeah. And so what age did you move to Sydney? So I was in year three. I was eight, eight years old. So Quite little. <laughs> really little, but it's funny because they're your formative years. So, you know, it really um, has a huge impact on on you as a person and um yeah like it's obviously like way back when but I still sort of remember it a bit like it was yesterday in the sense that it yeah I think um traumatizing experience oh to leave (laughs) (laughs) no eventually I was like oh Radelaide no Sydney is way cooler (laughs) yeah I got got through my I went into an arrogant stage and I'm like oh Adelaide's so boring and yeah even when you're little you think that yeah. Yeah, it's yeah. so weird. Um, so you yeah. moved to Sydney and what – so you're eight and what part of Sydney did you live in? Um, so we moved to Pennant Hills area. Okay. It was just like the northern – yeah, the Hills District. Okay. And so what was – I suppose what was your childhood experience? Like I guess later childhood. Like, like you say, it's formative between the ages of, say, eight to 18, you know, your – basically becoming an adult. So I suppose what was what was that time of your life like in the context of being from a minority culture to, to I suppose, like a minority culture and then a minority religion? Yeah. I mean, I had friends in primary school and then I moved to high school and I didn't have as many friends. And then I moved to another high school and I had more friends. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> 
<laughs> so I think when you're a bit younger, like, you know, you can sort of make friends pretty easily. Um, I think the transition for my mom was harder. And like, I, yeah, I think she's a real people person. And, um, you know, our culture, Japanese culture is a collective culture. Uh, it's quite, it's tribal. Um, we do things as a group. And there's this, when it, as a Lebanese person, you just, you know, as soon as you say to someone, I'm Lebanese and they're Lebanese, it's like, there's just this like inherent part, like sense of family. Oh, that's so nice. It is. It is really that's nice. so nice. What a lovely thing to have. I think we really miss that in Australia. I think some people say, um, my housemates say, one's um, from Spain and one's from Mexico, they say that they find Sydney one of, well, one of them in particular says that they find Sydney incredibly lonely mm. and I suppose because there is just such a lack of collectivism here. Some people find collectivism a bit suffocating, but I think that a little bit kind of makes you feel human. <laughs> oh, yeah, absolutely. And it's like it's we've got to find an in-between, you know, yeah. because and then as much as I, I absolutely value my liberties and freedoms to be able to define my own identity, which is so critical in a time in a world that we're living in now with all this rapid change happening around us and having to navigate all the world just changing on so many fronts. Like you, you, we've got to, we've got to have those freedoms. Yeah. At the same time, it's like that sense of connection and family, and that you p- are part of something no matter what. Yeah. Is something that we're really missing, like as as a society and as humans. And yeah. I think I think in a, in some cities, well, I think in at least in Sydney, I can't necessarily speak to every place in Australia, but um, I do feel like that's missing a little bit here. Maybe, you know, maybe because we've got so many disparate cultures, and then I think I've mentioned this in other um, podcasts, like you know, the the culture that we did have here has kind of just been squashed down in some was squashed down and is still squashed down. So I suppose there's maybe a bit of yeah, still finding our way to something here. What, what culture squashed down? Like indigenous culture, like, ah, yeah, 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 yeah. So like the, yeah. the culture that was part of the land here, or I mean, it still is, but. Oh, I think that's so critical. But it's, it's just, it's not, it's not part of our everyday lives here. 100%. And, you know, it hasn't, it hasn't permeated through to, to, um, just like day to day culture or anything. Um, but yeah, so. I, I think that point is really critical. Mm. Like. That, you know, I think that what we were talking about before in the in the pub mm. <laughs> was that, um, you know, we've gotten this sense of space now where and safety where we're able to really undo and peel back the like the the layers and the values that have been imposed upon us by society and imposed upon us by like the cultures that we've grown up in, with our our family values, and we're able to, to sort of peel that away. And the more that you do that, the more that you find that. The, the violence of the silence that we continue to perpetuate by not actually speaking out about who this country truly has belonged to. Yeah, yeah. Is, um, is, it's going to really inhibit our growth as yeah. people and as a society. Yeah, yeah. And until you sort of start to look at your own story and you're not going to understand that. Like yeah. you're not going to go, you know, like this is actually something that we really do need to truly acknowledge. Mm. 
so that that though so that we can all heal. Yeah, yeah, and not have this sense of feeling fractured in a way, because because that that's how things sort of feel to me a little bit. They feel fractured because we've got this. Yeah, we've got so many different cultures, and yeah, and but and then this sort of unacknowledged, I think. Um, base culture underneath it and it's like we're not really I don't know bringing it all together into one amazing melting pot you know <laughs> yeah and Sydney is definitely like yeah different to other other parts of Australia like mm. it's even more so because mm. we're so I think focused on like the individual and so commercially oriented and it's the fact the pace of life is is so fast mm. and I'm, I totally agree that we are yeah that that fragmentation mm. is is there yeah. Yeah, totally. Well, back to growing up in Sydney, what were some of the stereotypes that got flung your way while you were growing up? I think all immigrant children face face stereotypes in some way. So what were yours? Yeah, I think this is an interesting one. Um, well, I was really lucky and I don't think that I was that discriminated or against. Um, but having said that, once in a class in art, someone, this little guy, <laughs> Tom, he was a, he's like the com- the comedian of the class, decided to write on my desk that I was a leb. <laughs> Sarah I mean, is a leb. <laughs> <laughs> That's creative. That's very creative. <laughs> he thought it, yeah. And my, the teacher pulled me away and was like, Sarah, do you have a problem with this? And and she, she was, like, so serious. And I'm like, oh, not, not really because I think he was just trying to flirt with me. <laughs> <laughs> but to, to be called a leb is really derogatory. Um, if you go, Don't do it, people. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Especially if you live out in the western suburbs. Um, which which I didn't do. And so, you know, I often wonder if I am, like, if I can call myself a wog or if I'm a, a real, or like, use that word because, you know, I'm not, like, real. <laughs> I, like, grew up in, in the Hills District, you know. <laughs> and there was, like, that assimilation to a certain extent that I had to kind of, kind of, like, fit in and not, not learn Arabic because that was just, you know. Do you know weird. Arabic now? I do. Yeah, so I met, yeah. Um, I, You're better than me. I didn't, I refused to speak Hindi at home with my parents and I was determined to be Australian and now I just feel so sad that I didn't learn it. It's not too late. Yeah, yeah, I know people say that. I'm just I'm just learning so many other things right this very like second, guitar. but it is, exactly, but it's, it's <laughs> happening. At some point it'll happen. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I wanted to go to, so I, I actually go to university when I was at uni and doing my visual communications degree I also wanted to do international studies and learn Arabic and I started doing that um and I wanted to go back to Lebanon and do an exchange um which my parents were extremely unsupportive of why they were just look yeah they were just like we've come all the way over here we've gone through all of this we've escaped the war and the inequality and like you know the of Lebanon and you, you just yeah <laughs> it's like you just want to and you know we are we are sheltered in Australia and they've and um you know I have traveled a fair bit 
back to Lebanon and about five times in different parts of the Middle East. And yeah, we are like super naive bunnies, like trying to <laughs> navigate a world that is, um, it's not equal. People are, le- are wanting, um, it is competitive. And so you're saying we're, we're naive in, in Australia? Yeah. 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 Well, like, especially, well, I guess as daughter of uh, migrant yeah. parents. Yeah. Like, yeah. 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 So, so, so you, you did go on exchange during uni then to Lebanon? I didn't end up doing that, but I still, um, I still learned Arabic. And then, um, in my last relationship, I was um, with someone who had an Israeli Arabic Druze background. Yeah. And his family could only speak Arabic. So that's why I ended up le- just actually learning it properly and um, speaking more. And then every Is time. Is it difficult? I, well, not really, because. My parents spoke you, it all the time okay, at home. You had it they, in your ears. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And the same for you. Like if, if your parents spoke Kindy yeah. at home, then yeah. you your vocabulary is a lot wider than what you think it is. And you just need to like make like connect the dots. And yeah, yeah, yeah. Immerse yourself in the culture and mm. so why did you push it away, you think? Oh, I pushed it away because when my family first came to Australia, we lived in Melbourne for a couple of months and then we lived in this small town called Mount Gambia and it was just, there was there was no immigrant families. I think there was one Chinese family, one Iranian family and then my family who was Indian and the rest of the town was white Australians and there was an Indigenous population but, you know, I wasn't, they weren't interacting with, sorry, with anyone at our school. Um, and so I just felt so different and I was very conscious of that difference and I just, I think someone laughed at my dad once. My dad was with me in the supermarket and, you know, someone like made a comment about my dad oh. or something. I can't remember but I just remember being so... Um, I just felt, I could really feel my skin. That's the only way I can like describe it. I just felt so different from all these people and it happened from a very young age. And so I just wanted to be the same. And, and then I just was like, shame. yeah, yeah. yeah, You really like, you know, you're in a class and everyone's name is, you know, I know your name's Sarah, but like it was Sarah and Jane and Rachel and, basically Anglo-Saxon names Um, and then my name's the only one that's even slightly different and and then I just remember you'd get comments like oh you have such a lovely tan and I was like from um, kids mothers at the school and I you know I'm thinking I it's It's, not a tan I don't don't work on this like (laughs) (laughs) I'm also eight (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> don't go to solariums yeah <laughs> after yeah, school <laughs> yeah um yeah it was just it was actually like a perfectly friendly little town in some ways I did have like you say one I had one experience when I was I was having a birthday party because I was turning six and I invited the whole class um Cute. so I invited the whole class to Pizza Hut and I was so excited and this girl Natasha Oh, good old Pizza Hut. Was that the ones where you'd go, like they had the restaurant? Yes. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was, it was amazing. Unlimited box of ice cream. <laughs> and I invited the whole class and everyone came, was coming except for this girl, Natasha. And I said to her, why aren't you coming to my birthday party? And she said, my mum doesn't want me playing with brown people. 
And I was just like, I was very, I was quite fair skinned when I was younger. And I just remember going, but I'm not brown. <laughs> what do I you have mean? a tan. <laughs> I have a tan. <laughs> and then, and then I just remember going home and I was upset about yeah. it, but I didn't know what I was upset about. And I told yeah. my mom and, you know, she was obviously furious, but I remember being scared of seeing that girl's mom at, and it was a tiny town. You did see people all the time. And I remember being scared of running into that girl's mom. And so just little micro, like that's not even a micro incident, but so many little incidents like that happened. And then, you know, you just want to blend, you just want to blend in. And, and then I guess, but then over time it reverses, you know, it's funny. Like then as you get older, you just go, I, I don't care about blending in anymore. It's it's a good feeling. Like it happens like bit by bit and then you suddenly get to this point where you're like, oh, my God, I, just, I actually love being different. It's great. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah it is. It is. Yeah. And once you've, yeah, just separated it all out and gone, yeah. all right, well, yeah, this is something to actually really celebrate because it makes me really interesting. And, and Yeah. Well, it's what well, I'm interested I'm and, interested in other people and like what makes them different. It's just so you don't think that when you're a little kid. But, um, yeah. Yeah. It, it's that and I it really reminds me of a story where um with my best friend from our primary school and we're still actually really good friends now. She's got two kids. Um she her parent I was sitting around the dinner table at her parents' place. I used to go to her house all the time and um She's Lebanese? No, no. she's she's of um more of Anglo Anglo background. Yeah. Um yeah, and like, you know, not so much steak and free veg or whatever, but a little bit. Um <laughs> And her mum said, um, so she was a director of um, a workplace and um, she said that she had a Lebanese woman come and interview for the job, um, but that there was no way that she was going to give it to her because she just like just didn't fit in. Um, And I was there, I was like sitting at the dinner table, like, you know, and I just, I remember feeling so angry and I was like probably about like 11 or 10 yeah, and yeah wow just being like excuse me like I'm your daughter's friend and like you know and it was upsetting and my yeah so this reminds me as well I'm probably jumping around all over the place but um where my mom invited my friend's family over for dinner one night and as Lebanese expect you kind of expect there's like a reciprocity type of thing that happened but they never invited my family back so it was like Mm. you know and this was all part of like that transition and moving my parents had that too yeah they had that too a a lot it was it was very um especially in mount gabia oh my god so strange it's it's like it's funny it's like this social code like they they, is ingrained in them and they're like of course they're gonna like invite us back for Mm. dinner you know but it's like this is a whole other And when you have a social code like that as well, it also makes it way easier to make friends and to, uh, yeah, to feel like you're part of a community because uh, you don't feel like you are extending a hand and never getting one back, right? Whereas I think, yeah, that happens here. I mean, it happens with with me when I try and make friends or whatever. I mean, I have friends. Everyone, I have friends. <laughs> We're always trying to make new friends, <laughs> but you well, know, always so, room for new. Sometimes friends. you meet someone, you're like, "Oh, I want to," you know, "I want to be their friend." So you might invite them to something, and then like, yeah. okay, you didn't see them for two years. Okay, <laughs> you didn't want to be my yeah. friend. <laughs> yeah. That's it. Yeah. I find I still, I find I do it too. Yeah. In my last share house, I was like always trying to connect with everyone through food, but it just never worked. Like, yeah. I was just like, <laughs> yes, I mean that. That. Tell me more about that. So I guess like being 
uh, Lebanese, huge part of the culture is the food and generosity. I've definitely read that. And then I've also read that the honor, like having family honor is a big thing and not bringing shame in your family is a big thing. But I don't know if that's maybe just something that's written about and doesn't necessarily play out in real life. So yeah, yeah. tell me. Yeah, I think that's a big thing in like in in families of that come from like yeah um, like Indian, Sri Lankan, yeah. Lebanese, yeah, Middle Eastern, like yeah. Serbian. Like I'm sure yeah. like it's like all that kind of like you expect to, to sort of live up to some kind of family value yeah. set and yeah. not shame bring shame to the community. Yeah, um, in any way, um, I my parents, um, you know, like we really have this balance because. Um, we moved in Sydney. We moved away from mm. the, that from the community and um, didn't really have that pressure mm. to sort of perform in in that way. But having said that, when I met my ex partner who came from a Drew's background and we wanted to live together, everything that I'd been told of, which is you know, you've got all the freedoms and the rights and you can choose and you're in Australia and it's all it's all great. It just all backflipped on me, and um, they were all they were not happy at all. How old were you? <laughs> Um, I, how old am I now? Um, probably, yeah, it's like 25, 24. Okay. Okay. Um, and yeah, so it just was a so total shock and it was because he had also came from the same community religious background. And so it just meant that the rules changed. So if he had been from any other culture, it would have been fine, but it because it was like it's the social expe- it's the expectation that you know if you're going to come from be, his family as well as well yeah, yeah. Okay. if you're going to yeah yeah be together then you need to like formalize this arrangement right um yeah they 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 do struggle with it like that kind of you know um being living together out of wedlock and that sort of thing um yeah so so i, I had a bit of a crisis around around that um at the time and and it really confused me. And I think it's also because, yeah, I, I just felt like it had. I got lots like mixed messages um, a bit with that, um, which is totally fine. Um, and I think that it is really, even for my parents, it was really difficult to know, like navigate that, you know, that sense of, you know, what's the right thing. Because it is a thing, you know, like the like your family and your community and it's, that is kind of like you can be – it's not your livelihood but it's, you know, who you – a part of who you are and so you don't want to upset or um, or bring that bring that sort of um, – that shame or want people to see – they don't want people to see me in a certain way and, yeah, I totally get that because you, it's not really totally within their control. Hmm. So – I guess part of the – that just makes me think that part of the – because you said all these cultures – definitely have this um that sense of not bringing shame to your family and you know that kind of thing like there's a little bit more of a of a framework around how you're supposed to be in public and stuff like that and I guess maybe that's the flip side of the fact that there is this social code and inclusiveness and this fabric through the community that you've almost got to uphold your place within that fabric yeah 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 yeah, yeah, totally. And it is, there's a beautiful beauty to it and um, I often feel like I wish I was more a part of it. Um, and then there are other times where I'm like really glad I'm not because I really have that freedom to choose who I want to be 
it's just is what it is. Yeah. I've got friends that, you know, that are, have married, like, well, like being gotten partners in the community and they're part of this group that's like really lovely. And it's not to say I'm not part of it. I could probably be more a part of it if mm-hmm. I wanted to. Um, so most of your but, Drew's uh, friends and family ended up in relationships or married to other Drew's people because I, uh, from my understanding, you can't have intermarriage in um, the Drew's community, but I'm assuming that there is intermarriage. Oh, yeah. <laughs> of course. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, it's mixed. It's totally yeah. mixed. Yeah. Um, yeah, absolutely. Like, and more so in, I find it in Adelaide. Oh, yeah. yeah. Because they've been there for longer and I think it's, yeah, um, just a bit more open. Mm. Um, so, and so now would you want to be with someone who was Druze or Lebanese or it doesn't really matter or? Yeah, I, I, that's a really great question. Um, yeah, it's definitely don't want to keep like to scope it down that far, but I do find that I connect better with people that have got mixed backgrounds or, um, that come from a dive, like a, a migrant background or Eastern Europeans. I'm friends with a lot of Eastern Europeans for some reason. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, they can listen to this podcast and you can see why. Yeah. <laughs> they can figure out why. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. So, yeah, I guess that's that's what sort of leads me to my next question. Like, yeah, do you feel that when you have dated Australian men um that you haven't that they have been able to understand your cultural identity or is it something that you've had to explain or I've yeah um I haven't really yeah I think it's like a lot of the Australian guys that I have met seem to be like really curious and they're really open-minded and they're like you know open but yeah don't really get it because yeah. it's like, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. But I don't know if I really, yeah. A dating the dating question is really complicated. At the end, the end of the day, you just kind of, I don't know. I feel like I've gotten to a point where I'm like, okay, I understand my identity and me and what I value, and I connect with my Lebanese culture in X, Y, Z ways, like through music and food. Um, I don't know that I necessarily need to have a partner that also, you know connects on all those things as well culturally. Mm. It's fun um, It's fun to show people. It's. I find that it's fun to show someone. I find it really fun to discover other people's cultures and I love it like when they have a curiosity about mine because it's just fun to show people things and if people are curious. That's that's the main, the main trait I look for mm. in someone who may not have that mixed background or uh, a, a non-Australian background. Um, that's, yeah, I, I always like... I'm always like, do they actually want to know? Because I think that's the thing. Some people, it's very surface level interest. And then then you yeah. feel like a part of you can never come forward. That's, yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah. And this is the importance of having people around you that can see different sides of you. And But you're right. Like there is that one special, the one special person should be able to really see all sides of you. Ideally, mm. want to see and like want to dig. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes I just I kind of feel like it'd be. I I am sometimes surprised because obviously Bollywood movies are a big part of Indian culture, and it's not as if I watch them all the time. I definitely don't watch them. I watched them growing up with my parents, Fine. and sometimes I when I go home, I might watch them with my parents, and they are really fun to watch. 
But I sometimes think, oh, I'd just really love it if someone actually, if I was dating someone, they actually asked me about wanting to watch one. For me, that would like really melt my heart. (laughs) Yeah, it's so weird. It's so weird though, because I don't even watch them. Like it's something I do with my parents, but it's like if someone asked me and genuinely was curious and wanted to watch it, it would just really, really touch me. Uh, I will watch a Bollywood movie with you any day. (laughs) 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 I love Indian culture. What do they say? The the twisting the light and patting the dog. (laughs) 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 I've been to St. Gates and everything. My friend's South Indian, she had a three-day wedding and we... We, like, prepared a dance for it and everything. Oh, so, how fun. Yeah. Awesome. <laughs> so tell me about visiting Lebanon. So you said you've been there quite a few times. I've heard so many great things about Beirut. I just, I would love to go. Oh, it's, so I was there in 2019 and it was exactly a year before the bomb went off. So yeah. it's really sad what's happened there now. And um, they're really struggling as a country at the moment. Yeah. So it's, it's really not very good um, with COVID, with the electricity situation. It was summer and and the bomb had gone off um, and all the refugees. So anyway, um, I got was lucky enough to see Beirut before. and So you hadn't been like, before that? Oh, no, no, I had. I had been, yeah, yeah, yeah I'd been the number of times yeah. with my family and yeah. um, once on my own after uni. Yeah. Um, and this was a really special trip for me because it was um, the first time I'd visited in 10 years and on my own. Wow. Yeah. And um, I was there with some friends from Sydney and I visited both the mountains and the city. So my, my dad's from the city and um, that's where he grew up, Beirut. And um, my mum isn't in, in the mountains. And so that's a really yeah beautiful part of a lot of where the Druze sort of culture still mm. lives on. Mm. And um, so, yeah, and then I also did some nature trips and things like that and met a whole bunch or side of my dad's family that I'd never met before. They organised a whole trip to the north side of Lebanon just because I was there yeah. and it was an excuse for everyone to get together and I hadn't, I hadn't met one of them. They picked me up in a van and as wow. soon as I walked onto the van, they all clapped. <laughs> Oh, that's so lovely. <laughs> yeah, it was. And it, it was, was sort of a med- an immediate connection. It was so heartwarming. They, oh, they just, they were just like, you're our family. Like, this is, yeah, this is, <laughs> you <laughs> you belong here. And everyone was super friendly. And yeah, we're still in touch and um, not like very often, but yeah, it's, it was a real, they made my trip really special. They made me feel like home. I was home. So oh. it and yeah. food. Okay, yeah. I want to know what's what are the what are your favorite Lebanese foods? Uh, there's there's a really special one mm-hmm. that you won't find on many menus yeah. and it's called shish barak. Okay. So it's um it's a dumpling which and you wouldn't think in Lebanese you have dumplings, but it's yeah. um with the meat inside it and then it's cooked in yogurt. Yeah. With some mint and stuff like that. I actually think I have had it. Really? Yes, I've had it. I've definitely had a dish like I can't remember, but it's coming to me. I think I have actually had it. Yeah, yeah it was yummy. Do you like it? Yeah, yeah, it was yummy. It's rich, yeah. but yummy. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of like there's like home cooked food, and then there's like the barbecue food that you'll get like in the restaurants and stuff. Yeah, which it's like all the the popular ones like the um 
Oh, now you've... I can't remember. Um, <laughs> what is the most popular one in Sydney? Um, if you want to get proper Lebanese food, you're going to go to Green Acre. Okay. Yeah. Yep. Um, is there a big Lebanese Al- community Al-Asil there? Alasil is, I think, where the original one is, is in Green Acre. Okay. Yeah. Alasil. Yeah. Okay, and hot the, tip. Yeah. That's a that's a, a free ad for Alice Like they don't even. I'm not getting paid for that. <laughs> I mean, I don't know how many listeners I have, but who knows? This could go viral. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know and about then, that. And, <laughs> and then and then and then you'll have to go there and just get a free meal. You'll be like, "I'm the girl. I'm the girl that talked about you." <laughs> and you did say that when you say that you're Lebanese as well, they'll be like, "Oh my god, <laughs> that's it, that's it." Yeah, because they don't see any Lebanese. <laughs> All day, every day. I'll be the only one. <laughs> true. That's true. So um, so you went back when in 2019 and you saw, like, your dad's family. And was, was it mainly just your dad's family that you had, hadn't seen or connected was, with in a long time? Or was it a... Yeah, it was also um, my dad. Yeah, and, my, and also some my mum's family. So my immediate cousins and things. They're mm. living in um, my grandmother's house there in the mountains, which is this beautiful three-story house made of, um, I want to say sandstone, but I don't think it is. It's like blends in with the gut, like mm. the scenery mm. somewhere. And it's overlooking, like you can see Beirut in the distance and um, it's it's a village, like a typical yeah. village. You just, you, and they've got their, um, you know, my grandfather's brother's house just next door yeah. and any, all the cousins around so you could just go for a, a walk and say hi. And it actually was the best place to practice Arabic because I didn't feel self-conscious. Whereas when I'd go to Beirut and I'd be with, you know, my cool, my, my cool cousin, she's my older cool cousin. <laughs> I still remember her. Like, it's like I was a kid when I first met her. But um, yeah, she owns a company in graphics and branding. And, and like when I was with her friends, I, I wouldn't want to speak Arabic because it was just too embarrassing. Like I couldn't, you know, it's all broken and you'd have to have a few drinks before it actually started flowing (laughs) well or or yeah just make a complete fool of myself like I am now because we had a wine before (laughs) (laughs) that just makes things easier (laughs) for you maybe (laughs) like where is this going (laughs) I'm not from here yeah (laughs) so yeah I'm would you ever live in Lebanon obviously now things are are not in the greatest state they're right now, but based on your 2019 visit and before, would you have ever considered living there? Um, I think so. I think I did consider living there at one point, but not now. No, I don't think I would. Um, I'd love to be stay there for like long periods of time, but living there's a whole other ball game. And my cousins on my mum's side, um, like my mum's brother and their family, uh, really patriotic and they absolutely have this huge deep love of Lebanon and I absolutely see why and it's a very it's entwined with who they are and everything everything about it you know from yeah their sense of self family um culture and belonging it's it's everything mm. um and I love that for I love that about them and that's why they wanted to, you know, stay in Lebanon and live there. Um, but yeah, for, as a, as an Australian, like it's just too, it's too much of a transition, and I'm too old now. Yeah, <laughs> like it's. Um, yeah. I find I find one of the things that like really differentiates between cultures is humor. 
And I find that when I talk with my cousins in India, we go visit, I find that my humour is quite different. And, I mean, I guess I'm also not fluent in Hindi, but, yeah, there's just there's certain things that I think they're so nuanced within each culture and I think that that's that's one of what that's one of the big things I think if you can connect on a humorous level in in another culture then you've kind of you've kind of made it (laughs) yeah you're spot on I don't think I've like made it like on that level in English in Australia so I'm not really sure if I can make it on that level <laughs> Look, why does no one get my jokes ever? <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much. I find them funny, but I'm still getting, no, I'm getting better at the humor thing. Um, yeah, to- totally. Yeah. 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 yeah it's, it's crazy. Well, I have loved this conversation. I feel like, um, yeah, I was reading so much stuff about, yeah, Lebanese culture and Druze culture and, yeah, just chatting to you even before and even now. I feel very enriched. I feel like I've learned a lot. Well, that makes you a very special person. <laughs> you're, I love your curiosity around it and it's in, it's, it's contagious, like it's insatiable. And I yeah, think it's, just, it's like so wonderful to have someone like you to want to know more about it. And yeah, it is a, it is a secretive religion. Well, so, do you have but, any, do you have any parting words for our audience? Um, yeah, I went really off topic there. <laughs> <laughs> no. In what sense? Um I yeah, I just think that um my yeah, message is to yeah, continue exploring your identity and like exploring different parts of it and keep keep on growing and and go like, to Alice Seal. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's it. That's it. Thank you so much. Thanks, Sarah. Thanks, Ish. <laughs> 